Well, welcome to the Apologetics.com radio show. I'm Harry Edwards, your host for the evening. This show is uh, a show about challenging believers to think and thinkers to believe. I'm joined by my good friends this evening, John Noyes. Hi. Hello, hello, and Jason. How are you guys doing? All right. In, in just a moment, I will be asking you guys how your uh, week has been and updates on ministry, all right? so. But uh, before we get into our topic tonight, I'd like to remind our listeners that we are a supported. We are supported entirely by your generous donations. If you are a first-time listener, live or on our podcast, special welcome. If you find our shows valuable and wish to see it continue, please donate by going to our website, www.apologetics.com, and click on the donate button. Your generous contributions will help us remain on the air. All right, so tonight, this is um, the fifth Saturday of the month, and so every time, any month that has five Saturdays, the three of us come together and host the show. In theory. In theory, that's right. Uh, I think last yep. year, how many times did we actually get together, guys, last year? Three, One? Two or three? I don't, <laughs> yeah. two, I don't know. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, but uh, So this is a precious moment for me. I don't know about you guys, but I'm touched. It's I'm precious. Thank you for making it, John and Jason. So, Absolutely. Um, You're welcome, Harry. Yeah. John, how is uh, how are you doing? How's ministry and uh, how's life in general in this new year? Ah, life is good, man. A month in, life's pretty good. My family's amazing. I have four little girls that are getting to be big girls, mm. and uh, my wife. I'm married. Uh, luckily, I'm married to the the best woman that God has ever created. That's an actually an mm. objective claim. Uh, we it's could objectively argue about true. That. No, it's objectively true. God told me. <laughs> okay. God said Rihanna is the oh, best. You're a charismatic. Yeah. No, I'm just saying what God <laughs> said. So, um, no. Uh, so I have. I man, I've got nothing really to complain about. You know, STR. Uh, so I, I'm a Christian apologist that stands for reason. I guess. <laughs> I guess. Uh, um, and <laughs> Come uh, on. and I'm having fun there. And and it's um, one of the best apologetics ministries out there. Yeah, it's a lot of fun and uh, just enjoying life, man. God is God is very 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 good. You've been uh, traveling the nation speaking, right? Well, not since COVID. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I've uh, been doing a lot on the internet and um, just having really great conversations with people. My topic of focus, which is weird, I wasn't planning on it this whole year, has been suicide, So, which isn't actually like even really, in my mind, uh, an apologetics issue per se, but it's a need and um, and it's been unbelievable. So, so ministerially, like ministry-wise, I'm having... Uh, a really great time getting to see God work. So praise the Lord. Yeah, that's great. Uh, how about you, Jason? How's life been treating you? And how how's ministry? How's uh, life in general this new year? Uh, life's great. You know, God is good. Uh, three three beautiful kids, two girls, and a little boy at home, homeschooled. Uh, my wife is just a huge blessing. Um, taking care of our little ones and teaching them and training them. Um, my work's been awesome. You know, I'm an engineer. Um, I love what I'm doing. We're doing some amazing uh, technology development in the area of automotive manufacturing, you know, just cutting-edge stuff that I can't really talk about, but hopefully, you know, I think might be such a big thing that, uh, you know, it's just the whole world knows about it in, you know, 
flying in ma- cars. In a matter of time. Um, <laughs> yeah. Serving as a deacon at Branch of Hope Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the which church. is always a blessing. And, um, yeah, you know, got the chance to do like an apologetics conference a couple months ago at our church. Um, and, you know, just trying to come on the show. And we've been really focusing on uh, presuppositionalism, presuppositional apologetics. Um, you know, I've kind of realized that that's, you know, just an important topic that I think a lot of people aren't too familiar with. But I think it's just a, a wonderful foundation to to teach um, people so that they have a just a, a solid background and a solid foundation to stand on when they're defending the faith. Um, and really what that leads to is the doctrine of the Trinity, which um, I've been thinking about. I've been reading that book by Vern Poitras, The Mystery oh, of so the good. Trinity. Yeah. And I think we're going to be trying to unpack that and how it relates to <laughs> apologetics over the next several years. several months or years <laughs> yeah. or decades. Um, I don't think we'll ever get a handle on that, even the, in Yeah, the, the Trinity uh, is glory. just incredible. Um, it's an incredible doctrine to really just to think about sure. and uh, consider. So, Yeah, tonight we want to uh, introduce you to uh, a contributor to our site. Um, he's new to me, he's new to us, uh, and um, I'm very proud to introduce Dr. Peter Harris, uh, and he has agreed to call us from, I believe, the UK, right? That, yes, that's right. Yes, good morning to you all, or good evening to you. Yeah. Um, yes, nice good morning. Here. <laughs> so this is wonderful. Uh, Thank you. Of course, uh, through divine providence, we get connected via the site, and mm. uh, I learned that uh, he has more degrees than a thermometer, and <laughs> and, uh, and he has. Uh, what sealed the deal for me was when he said he uh, took the uh, uh, certificate program at uh, Talbot, uh, the uh, place yeah. where I used to work, and uh, so that's really wonderful. And he has uh, written. Some amazing articles. One was published at Patheos, so that's a, it's a good site, a good resource to go to. Uh, so when he uh, and typically, uh, you know, I get a lot of these requests, and I do look at them and I do uh, evaluate um, every one of them. Um, uh, number one, you know, is this email uh, legit? Right? Uh, is this not spam? So when when Doctor Harris contacted me, I did all of my due diligence. But uh, you know, when when he said, "All right, hey, check out the article I wrote," and uh, I, I did read it, and it was great. And then the two articles that now he's written for us for uh, you can uh, see it at apologetics dot com. It is wonderful, and I'm sure at um, some point we will we will talk about that um but tonight actually because you're our special guest uh we're very curious to know about your dissertation i know uh, jason here was actually interested in that so let, let's talk about that let's talk about yes. jason you, you had some questions yeah um if i'm if my understanding is correct um well yeah. nice to meet you first of all peter and I'd like to know a little bit more Um, about Peter. Yeah, I'd like to know just maybe a little bit from your perspective, your background, you know, how you, maybe a little bit of how you came to faith, how you came to Christ, and how you got interested in the the field of apologetics. But um, I think your dissertation was on the anti-theism of Christopher Hitchens. It was, 
which I think would be fascinating to explore in a little bit more depth, uh, you know, this during this hour, you know, for our audience, Um, you know, and also, you know, because we're dealing with this guy. I don't know if you're familiar with him. I think it's Tom, Tom Jump. He's an atheist that does several YouTube interviews and um, he basically follows on the on the on the uh, the shoulders of Hitchens basically saying that. You know he he's an atheist, and the reason he's an atheist is because he does not believe there are good reasons to believe in God. Right. And right. I haven't I have a you know my guess would be that you're pretty familiar with that sort of um, line of argumentation or thinking, and I think it would be wonderful to unpack that uh, this evening. Yeah. But um, yeah, just you know I'd love to hear okay. a little bit about you and your story, and you know it's good to have you as part of the team, man. Thank you very much indeed. It's a great uh, privilege to be speaking with you this morning. Um, I, I probably was the easiest convert to Christianity because I, I, I heard the gospel for the first time at the age of 12, and I immediately believed. Um, but since then, it's been a, a bit of a rocky road, as it were, because I, I gave up my faith at the age of, two, uh, age of 19 um, and remained more or less an atheist until I was 27, and I really didn't hear the gospel much during those years of disbelief um and god i think sovereignly worked in my heart and i began to warm to christianity again and then at the age of 28 recommitted myself to being a disciple of jesus and i also had another shall we say faith crisis back in 2008 um and it was apologetics that that drew me back to belief um particularly the works of people like alistair mcgrath amy or ewing and john lennox um by reading their books but I was still interested in what atheists had to say, and so I started to investigate new atheism. And I know that Richard Dawkins' book, The God Delusion, had been out since 2006. So I was a bit behind the curve, as it were. Um, but I found his book in a local supermarket. Uh, so popular was this book that even a local cut-price supermarket was selling it. So I decided to buy it, and I read it in three days. I was so fascinated by it. But because I, I knew that there are spokespeople who are defending the Christian faith. I, I could read Dawkins' text within the light of what other people were saying about it from a Christian viewpoint, and I began to see the, 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 the sort of the weaknesses in his argument. Um, but I did what everybody does. I, I googled his name, and I, one of the suggested uh, websites that came up for Dawkins was one concerning Christopher Hitchens. And Hitchens I've always found to be the most palatable and pleasant to listen to of all the new atheists. Um, he was a remarkable public speaker. Um, mm-hmm. He was very self-assured, very eloquent. He had this encyclopedic memory that could quote large tracts of poetry. Um, whereas Dawkins can be very acidic and contemptuous. Dennett, Daniel Dennett is not a good public speaker, you know, not very fluent. Uh, and Sam Harris has this sort of eerie um, sort of <laughs> self-assuredness to him. Um, <laughs> eerie. So I... I So I I gravitated towards Hitchens um, and began to read him, and I've remained more impressed with him as a speaker than I am as as he is as a writer about God. Um, I I found his book, God is Not Great, to be quite chaotic. Um, It's not his best text on anti-theism. The essay that I would recommend people go to if they want to know what Hitchens thinks about God and religion in a very lucid organized ways the essay that he wrote at the beginning of a an anthology of atheist writings called the portal atheist and, and his essays are all 
discursive masterpiece, as it were. But again, you know, it, it is flawed. There are some real problems with what he's saying. He, he dies in December 2011, and at the time I was doing a master's degree in Christian theology, and, and when I finished that, I thought, what can I do next? Because I love to study, I love to think, and I love to write. And so I thought, well, I'll, I'll do a PhD on, on Christopher Hitchens. <laughs> and I found an American seminary that took me on uh, to do that. Um, and uh, the book, The Rage Against the Light, came out of that eventually. Um, and I was essentially doing two things. One is I was being very empathetic in the sense that I wanted to understand what Hitchens was saying and, and to uh, formulate his beliefs into a coherent worldview and the ideology upon which the world, which is built on the worldview, sorry. And then I was going to criticize it from three perspectives, philosophy, theology, and history. And no, actually four perspectives, um, epistemology as well, which is the, the, the last section. Um, and it's interesting you mentioned, is it Tom Jump, um, who yep. basically thrives on Hitchens' views? Because I, yep. at the time I was writing all of this, I thought, well, new atheism is becoming a bit of old, a bit old news. You know, it's not really appearing in mainstream anymore. But I still think that Hitchens' views are reverberating around the Internet, and I still meet people today who uh, who are under his influence, as it were. So I still think it's relevant to, to take him on, as it were. So that, that's the background to it. That's great. Uh, thanks for sharing that. Um, All right. Uh, you know, we are really... Uh, it's an honor that we have someone over there in the UK where... I mean, a lot mm. of Christianity, you mentioned history, really came from there before it came to the U.S. Uh, yeah. And we always hear this, um, uh, although I'm not, I'm not exactly sure, nor am I convinced, but a, a lot of Christian leaders here in the U.S., they always say that um, the that U.K. has been secularized, um, uh, mm. and, and before it comes to the U.S., it, it's... It, it uh, develops there first in terms of ideas and and all of that. Would you say that the UK is secularized in such a way that um, it is harder to share and defend the gospel than, let's say, the US? Is that a true thing? Um, I I don't think it is. I mean, the 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 opinion polls and the censuses taken in Britain suggest that. It, a stable 70% of people in Britain have a belief in God. Uh, so it, there is still a majority belief in God. I think what's really dropped away, and this is a process that's been happening since the 1890s, is participation in church. So, um, and, and the real sort of decline in church attendance happens after the First World War. And I think the reasons given for that by historians and sociologists is that a lot of people can't square their belief with, in God with such a catastrophe, um, and of course that's then compounded by the experience of the Second World War. Um, so I think that Britain is a is a secularized nation. I mean, we we do really keep our politics and our religion separate, even though we have paradoxically a, a national church, and and the monarch is the head of the the national church, the Anglican Church. But we don't mix politics in religion. Prime ministers, if they have a faith, keep it to themselves. I mean, Theresa May uh, is is an Anglican. Um, Tony Blair is a Catholic or became a Catholic, more committed Catholic after he left office. But um, his uh, his public relations manager um, said, "We don't do God." 
So in a sense, there is a clear separation there. But Britain, I think, is still very much a nation that draws on its Christian heritage mm. and its morality. Um, so, um, you know, so in many ways, what I see within Christopher Hitchens himself, who grew up in 1950s, 1960s Britain, is that he too is actually thinking in a very Christian way. Uh, his starting points are very Christian, even though he comes to very anti-Christian conclusions. Um, and there's, I'm sure you've you've heard of a book by Tom Holland um, called Dominion. Yes. Oh, yeah. Which, Good book. Yeah, and, and yeah, it's an incredible book. It really has sort of highlighted the way in which the Western nations, well, not 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 well. I think he's talking about Europe and America and Australasia and so on, have retained their sort of Christian roots. Um, and we still think very much in, in Christian categories, even though the voice of the church seems very much diminished. Um, so how long we will still hold on to our Christian roots, I don't know. I think perhaps over time the the uh, sort of the the gravity or the, uh, the, the 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 central nexus of Christianity is moving south and east, particularly with particularly within Africa and, and China. So we might start to see the balance shifting that way. But I hope not. I hope that there is a, another great awakening or another great revival, as there was in, in England and then in the United States under people like, um, you know, John Wesley and Jonathan Edwards and so on. Yes, very much agree. Um, mm. it, it is interesting that even atheists, like you said, they do think in mm. uh, Christian terms, you mentioned yeah. Tom Holland. Um, I mm. read, it's a thick book, so I, I can say I read mm. every page, but I, I read a lot of it. And uh, mm. I love what he says, because he's an atheist, right? But um, yeah. it uh, when when he un- undertook this project, uh, I, again, as a good researcher, he, he just uh, mm. followed the truth wherever it led. And um, yeah. I think he was surprised to find out the rich heritage from which Western mm. civilization draws upon, and mm. uh, I think it, it kind of shook his world a little bit, literally, and uh, it's mm. it's made him think about his atheism. That's that's kind of like what I got, got th- um, toward the latter part of the book, which is good. You know, it's it's making him think. I yeah. wonder if, uh, just like, uh, 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 who's who's the Peter, who, who's the psychologist? Uh, oh. Peter, oh, Kraft? You know, no. Peterson, right? Jordan yeah. Peterson. Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson. Oh, yeah. He's an interesting yeah. character, P- Jordan Peterson, because he's, yeah. he's like the closest non-Christian Christian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, that's true. He, he is on the precipice, and uh, and he I, I, all everything about him wants to be a Christian, but uh, <laughs> he, he's just not sure. And, you know, I, I listened to him, I read some of his books, and... It is actually humbling when you think about it, and and and, and this is something to think about for uh, unbelievers and believers. Uh, if I'm if I'm understanding him correctly, it's such a private matter being a Christian because he understands its full devotion to Jesus. He understands that, uh, but it's such a private matter for him. And and for anyone dare say that they are a follower of Christ, it's like how dare you because. He understands the gravity of being a Christ follower, and he knows he can't match up. He can't attain that, and and so he doubts that anyone really is a true believer, which is interesting. But uh, 
I, I think in his heart he wants to be. He just doesn't know, or maybe he's just not part of the elect. <laughs> that's, that, that's my evaluation of him. But uh, it, it's it's humbling. It, it's great to actually read his works and to hear his testimony about him not wanting to talk about faith in general because it's such a private, deep matter. And uh, it's like... Oh my goodness, and and he understands Christianity than most uh, theologians that I know. So good for Peter yeah, Peterson. Peterson, yeah. yeah. No, I um, I kind of like. I'd like to get back to the the conversation about Hitchens, and um, and I have a question just just kind of like what you titled the the the, the topic. You know the. Uh, anti-theism, I think, is what yes. the anti-theism of Christian Hitchens. And I'd like to ask what you mean by that, anti-theism. Okay. Yes, um, anti-theism is a, a kind of atheism. Um, I I think I read a book, which, uh, well, I did read a book. I didn't just think I read it, I did read it. Uh, by Tom <laughs> Gray, who looked at about seven different types of atheism. Um, and uh, anti-theism is that kind of atheism that is glad there is no evidence or there is no good reason to believe there is a God. Because I have come across atheists, um, as I'm sure you have as well, who would like there to be a God. I, I have a colleague who is an atheist, but he doesn't like the idea that death is the end of him, and he would like to think there is a God who will welcome him into an afterlife and, and restore him somehow. Um, but the anti-theist is somebody who thinks that if God exists, then that would in some way be fundamentally harmful to human beings. Mm. And Hitchens' anti-theism is based upon his notion that if, if God did exist, he would nullify human free will. He would be the totalitarian par excellence. He would be a, a, a super-energized version of a North Korean dictator um, sitting in the skies throwing thunderbolts at us, which is a, a cartoonish view of God. Sure because it shows that Hitchens really only half-listened to Christianity. He didn't really properly listen. He didn't really properly study Christianity, and therefore his, his view of God is, is very truncated. And what he does is he says, well, look at all the attributes that God has. He's omniscient, he's omnipotent, he's omnipresent, he's everlasting or, or eternal. I don't think Hitchens ever really understood the difference between eternality and everlastingness. But he says God is always there, he knows everything, he can do whatever he likes, and he, he's all-knowing. He knows the crimes that we commit before we even do them. So which dictator, which, which <laughs> human dictator, wouldn't want those qualities? Yeah. Um, but the problem with that is that his doctrine of God is very limited because, of course, Christian theism says that God is love. So everything that God does is loving. He can't do anything other than that. And no dictator, as far as I can tell, has ever been described as having a gracious love for his people. Um, I mean, for Adolf Hitler, for instance, <laughs> his, his people were a resource to create you know, a wonderful future of which he would be the leader. I think Joseph Stalin saw his people as resources. Mao yeah. Zedong did the same. So, and, and the other thing, of course, is that, that Hitchens says that the, the quintessential feature of a dictator is that he's capricious he will he will change the moral goalposts so that you don't ever know whether you are in the right or wrong with him mm. so you you constantly live in fear of his judgment even when you're doing what you know or you think you know is good um but the problem with that of course is that god is is morally immutable he doesn't change his laws moral laws don't change yeah. so therefore god fails hitchens first test as to what a totalitarian yeah 
So it, it, it is, you know, Hitchens' view of God, it, to put it politely, is nonsense. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I, th- I think it's interesting, and we only have like two minutes left, so maybe after the break we can get into this, but yeah. it's interesting that you let off with the fact that what, what really the bee in his bonnet had to do with uh, the, the, the idea that belief in God would ultimately uh, diminish uh, any semblance of free will, where in, in fact, actually, I mean, belief in, you know, evolutionary naturalism actually does do that. So if free will is his sticking point, well, this is, I mean, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. You know, I guess I should ask a question, not state something, because you know far more about this than I do. But it would seem to me like if free will is his main sticking point, uh, naturalism poses just as much of an issue um, as Christian theism, if not more, especially when accurately studied and looked at. Um, it's interesting. I, I, sorry. I would also uh, yeah, jump, I, I, jump in on that, too. Okay. Just, of course to you would. back on John's point, you know, this guy, <laughs> this guy, Tom Jump, who contacted us actually recently and wants to do some video YouTube kind of interviews with us. You know, if, if I could paraphrase his kind of view of morality, he says basically that anything – Anything that imposes on the sovereign will of an individual is immoral. And so he would say that a parent who basically prevents their kid from touching a hot stove, right, is imposing their will on that child, is doing something immoral. But at the same yeah. time, uh, it's, it's, it's better that the parent do that than that the child go and burn himself, right? Um, there's kind of like uh, a justification of that immoral evil of imposing his will on that child. Um, And I think it sounds like he's piggybacking on Hitchens a lot, and so I think it would be good to pick your brain, uh, pick pick Peter Harris's brain on that after the break. uh, So, all right, I hear the music. That means we're going to come up uh, on a station break so uh, stay tuned and we will be right back after a few commercials what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us everyone has ideas about God unfortunately many people hold false ideas about him and these ideas have consequences. Some false ideas have led people to worship a God of their own making, while others have led people to reject God altogether. This year, we've devoted an entire conference to answering the most common false ideas about God. Is God anti-gay? Is God good? Do Muslims and Christians worship the same God? These are just a few of the topics we'll be addressing. The only way to guard against false ideas is to fill our minds with true ideas. So join me and a number of other speakers at one of this year's Rethink Apologetic Student Conferences. Find out more information about Rethink by going to RethinkApologetics.com. That's RethinkApologetics.com. We're at war. It's not a war of bombs and bayonets. It's not a war against flesh and blood. In fact, it's not a physical war at all. It's a spiritual war. That's why Paul instructs us to put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil's primary scheme is deception. He wants us to believe false ideas about God. And the only way to guard against false ideas is to fill our minds with true ideas. Simply put, we combat deception with truth. It's unfathomable to imagine sending young men and women off to fight a physical war without proper training. Yet, When it comes to spiritual warfare, we do this all the time. The vast majority of our students are simply not prepared for the spiritual battle that awaits them. 
At this year's Rethink Apologetic Student Conferences, we're training students to counter the lies of the enemy. Lies like God does not exist, God is anti-gay, Muslims and Christians worship the same God are just a few of the false ideas we'll be addressing. So join me and a number of other speakers at one of this year's Rethink Apologetic Student Conferences. Find out more information about Rethink by going to RethinkApologetics.com. That's RethinkApologetics.com. The mission of Apologetics.com is to challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe on the radio, on the internet, and now in the Life of the Mind conferences. If you believe in the work that Apologetics.com is doing, we encourage you to support us with your prayers and also with your tax-deductible gift so that this ministry will continue on the air, on the web, and in events near you. Gifts of any amount are appreciated, and it's very simple to participate. Just go to Apologetics.com and click Donate. It's safe and secure. Or you can send your check or money order to Apologetics.com, 1900 Southwestern Avenue, San Pedro, California, 90732. Thank you for supporting Apologetics.com. All right, let's get back to the Apologetics.com radio show. Well, welcome back to the second hour of, or second 30 minutes. Not anymore, man. Yeah, We're not we used second to have hour two anymore. Hours. We the used second to be. 30 minutes of the Apologetic.com radio show. I'm Harry Edwards, your host for the evening, and uh, we are a show that uh, likes to challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. My guests uh, this evening, <laughs> my best friends in ministry, John and Jason, welcome back. And our special guest is Dr. Peter Harris, calling all the way from the UK. Um, Dr. Harris, uh, you're on. You're online, right? You're on the air again. You're you're back with us. Okay, great. Well, we just took like a two minute break, and uh, welcome back, Dr. Harris. Are you there? Hello there. All right. Yeah. It hey, worked. I, yeah, I know. <laughs> Thanks to technology. Wow. Um, I know you are eight hours ahead of us, right? Yes, I am. It's uh, 8.30 in the morning here in Britain. Mm. Yeah, I love it. Um, nice. It's a deep honor to have you on the air. So, so Dr. Harris, I was just curious. Are you a, are you a professor or what is your kind of full-time vocation or ministry? Um, I am a lay minister uh, in the Anglican Church um, or training to be, but I'm... I'm performing a lot of the functions of a lay minister. Um, I also um, put together courses for Lucent University, um, which is based in Texas, a Christian university, which is actually accredited here in Britain. Um, I also do a lot of writing as well. Um, and I also um, teach at a college here in England as well. So, yes, I have a variety of um, nice. Busy <laughs> roles, guy. we say. And you're going to solve all the problems having to do with free will for us this evening. <laughs> this is unbelievable. <laughs> this is amazing. Lucky night. <laughs> I love it. As you can tell, uh, Dr. Harris, our show is, uh, a lot of it is conversational. And uh, yeah. typically we would put the numbers out there and invite uh, our listening audience to call. But uh, yeah. I think we just want to keep it, uh, you know, keep the discussion among the four of us this evening. Um very selfish. Yeah. I'm selfish tonight, yeah. Sinner. Believe it or not, I mean, there's like <laughs> up to five to 9,000 people that could be listening to us just by virtue of the fact that um, 
we're in LA. That's crazy. Mm. Uh, so, That's but crazy. Um, good number. Yeah, I, I've got a question for you actually. So yeah. let, let's say um, we're dreaming here. All right, uh, let's say the three of us here want to go to the UK and um, we want to hold an apologetics conference. What would be Give, give me like a popular uh, set of topics that uh, Londoners would be interested in or uh, the tone and style. What, what would be yeah. effective over there? Um, I, I think what, one thing that would be very effective is um, religious plural, plural, sorry, I'm say it properly, plurality. Yeah, okay. uh, it's very early here. <laughs> um, religious plurality, we have a very, obviously like America, we have a very multi-ethnic, multicultural society. And I think one of the questions people have is, um, you know, why, why does Christianity present itself as exclusively true? I think that would be one topic that would be very important. I think the pandemic also has brought back to the, the forefront the, the problem of evil and suffering. Um, I know that's a, a, a traditional one that doesn't go away. It's a perennial question for Christians and non-Christians, but I think that would, would go down very well also. Um, and I think also the reliability of the scriptures. Mm. Um, we... We do have a, a radio program in Britain called Unbelievable, and uh, oh, they yeah. frequently have guests on there who talk about the reliability of, of Scripture or, from a, a sceptical point of view, why the Scriptures, for some people, are not reliable. Uh, so I think those three topics would, would go down really well. Um, apologetics is very popular in Britain. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been to quite a few conferences myself where a lot of people have attended. Um, I'm and curious, did you I go to the one uh, that uh, Biola hosted? Uh, they've done it twice now. I haven't, I'm afraid, no. But okay. I, I was intending to, but I was... Unfortunately, I had another engagement, okay. which I couldn't uh, cancel. So, But no, those look really good. Yeah. Um, I, I really think that, that what, what comes out of Biola is, is perhaps the best within the apologetics world. It really is spectacular what they do. John's uh, happy to hear that. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with you. That's great. Yeah. Okay. That's class, what they do. Well, what do you guys think? Are we ready to go? Pack your bags? Let's go. Let's do it. I have to ask ask my wife. I think you should. It would be great. (laughs) It's like everything. I got to ask my wife first. (laughs) You know, (laughs) get permission. I want to go back to the topic of what you were talking about, uh, free will stuff and the idea that uh, the the idea that anytime anybody infringes upon upon somebody's uh, mm. libertarian free will, it is by definition immoral, and I, I think I find that really interesting. I, I, mm-hmm. I've I've heard uh, Tom jump and and I know him personally, and he's a uh, he's mm. a good guy. Like he's a really nice guy. So, um, but I, I guess you'll be talking to him, Jason. See, we, um, yeah. We we put the we put you in there because you're the prettiest. Yeah, right. Yeah, we'll have. I think we're gonna do like a video discussion on YouTube with him, uh, yeah. late February or something like that. But I've been watching right. some of his shows or other debates slash conversations with other people, and um, mm. you know that's his his definition of morality is anything that imposes on the sovereign will of an individual is immoral, and he would say. You know, in that example of, say, a child touching a hot stove and a parent coming and basically pulling back their child's hand and, you know, preventing them from being burned, 
he would say that that is immoral of the parent to do that, but yet at the same time it's it's justified because it would right. be it would be more immoral for him to get burned and and he would even go so far as say that nature itself is actually immoral in the sense that it burns people, right? Burning someone uh, based on like the laws of nature is 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 nature imposing its will over the will of an individual, and therefore nature itself can be immoral. Um, but have you heard that line but, of thinking or reasoning? And you know, how might you respond to that? I I haven't actually heard it put that way, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would probably need to think about you know what what I would say in response to that. But well, I, I assume he's a you know he's a, a fairly diehard atheist. Um, what I find interesting is that he is still thinking within a Christian context because it's, it's quite clear that, that the notion of free will is a Christian idea. I mean, the free will really only starts to get going philosophically once Christianity starts to become an influential worldview um, within, within culture. Um, so, for example, I think the, you know, the great theologian of, of free will is, is uh, St. Augustine or Augustine, as some people pronounce his name. Mm-hmm. And so I would, I would want to say to this atheist, what, why, why are you still using a category of thought that, that Christianity has put into motion? And, and secondly, where in his naturalistic worldview does he see free will fitting in? Because if, if we are simply matter, if we are molecules in motion, as people say, then where is the free will in that? Surely our actions, our thoughts, our beliefs, our, our speech is simply molecules getting themselves into a particular pattern so Mm -hmm. he would have to explain he has a burden of proof there he has to explain why he thinks that a materialistic world without any non-materialistic materialistic entities without any god who can guarantee free will would actually have free will in it and and secondly um the the problem that he has also is, is how he explains consciousness because free will can only be exercised if a person is conscious because it's a conscious decision making process so he would also have to explain how consciousness would arise from matter as well um so i think he's got he's got a lot of work to do mm-hmm. before he can even present his idea <laughs> that free will the imposition of something on someone else's sovereign free will um is, is immoral i mean he's, he's he's actually sort of presenting human beings as having the image of god because because God is is completely free yeah. uh, to do whatever He chooses. Although He's He's He chooses in in line with His immutable moral character, He can't act in contradiction to His own character. But when He does act, He always acts in accordance with His character, but totally freely as well. So uh, th- this this guy's got a lot of work to do before he he can even make that statement to me. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Those are all those are all great points and great yeah um, lines of questioning you know, during a conversation with him. And, you know, I think that could be one of the places that you, that we really press him because he, while he says that morality is, immorality is basically imposing your will over the will of an individual. That's what, that's what's, uh, that's what immorality is. That's according to his definition. That's his definition. He would also... In, well, that's the same, arbitrary. in the same breath, he would say that free will is an illusion. Like, oh, right. you know what I mean? And I think that, it, that in <laughs> itself is 
it's almost like holding two contradictory positions. Could it be an illusion that is helpful? I'm actually open to something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I suppose in a sense, I mean, that's what um, people like Alex Rosenberg say and, and uh, mm-hmm. Yuval Noah Harari, they say that, that human beings live with useful fictions. Yeah, yeah. I'm open um, to that, actually. Like, for yeah. instance, if, uh, you know, we're talking about um, wh- why would um, uh, a God allow such things? But you can imagine that if you're a parent uh, and you are disciplining a three-year-old, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. From let's say uh, reaching and 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 uh, grabbing this object that could mm. easily stab them and they would bleed to death, that parent would, um, uh, if they were a, a creative parent, they would uh, make that object out of reach, or they would mm. make it so that it is something that they would not want to touch at all, or or just the whole you know barricading themselves from. Uh, the kitchen knives and everything, while that three-year-old may feel like he is or she is exercising his or her free will, the reality is that um, there is this barricade and and the parent has made it such that that barricade is their world and, like, everything is just happy in that world (laughs) i mean right well i mean yeah but uh, yeah but at the same time you want your kids to experience the world right you want the um you you want the risks you know i I think studies have recently been done i wish i had uh, but not not exposing them to a sharp knife at three you know well i don't know about this i i read articles about how um uh, the the safety measures that we've taken in schools has actually had an ad uh, adverse effect on our kids. Right, right. Um, so what we're what we're seeing now is certain places actually introducing danger to children in order for developmental uh, benefits. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, I'm, I want to. Okay, can we go back to the, yeah. sure. the uh, to the point that you had said about creating a. A fault, like a, a a fictitious reality, and living in that um, is is. Are you saying, Harry, that that there's that you're open to that idea? I'm just curious. Yeah, uh, I am. I am. I and and am. is it is it the, the, is it something where the person who believes this fictitious idea knows that it's fictitious, or is it that their eyes are, are just blind to the to, to the false narrative? Yeah, I mean. In my all right, in my imagination, all right, in in, in my musings, I, like I said, I, I I like to think about some of these things. Uh, how something could be illusory, yeah, but helpful. And if it's illusory, then the the person uh, who is experiencing the illusion uh, j- just knows the benefits and and not the negative. Things and but so they don't know that they believe a false right. narrative. Yeah, that's right. Right. Actually, I think that this is what actually Greg Bonson's Bonson's uh, dissertation was on this. Oh, self deception. Self deception, where the you know the human mind has the ability to to believe a false narrative, even in uh, even in the face of the truth. Like they know what they're believing is false, yet they still choose to believe. Yeah, my, my idea is a little bit different. Yeah, so, it is a little bit different. So, so a, a good analogy again is what I said. Uh, I like to what talk I shared. To you know, uh, a good parent would uh, would shield the child away from certain dangerous things and 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 make it so that uh, 
that child thinks that that is the world and and and, and everything is contained in that world huh. and and they don't know certain things that has been shielded from them sure so but I'm eventually you you broaden that world sure you grow and learn sure Dragon so kind of like you know adam and eve right yeah. uh when they ate of the <laughs> tree uh, the, you know then, it turned out really their, well their it turned out so well up, for them right? yeah so <laughs> let's use them as a parenting model <laughs> we're still dealing with that yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, doc harris what are you thinking about like about right now what are you thinking anything um i <laughs> i i i think one of the things parents are doing is they're helping their children to exercise their free will wisely um yeah. So when a, a parent intervenes and says, well, you know, you mustn't put your hand inside the oven or whatever, or you mustn't release the handbrake on the car when we're parked on a hill, um, it is actually teaching that child, okay, you have the capacity to choose, but you need to be able to choose wisely. And I, and I think in a sense that actually enhances a person's freedom rather than removes it because it gives them a, a better understanding of how to choose in a way that helps them to flourish and helps other people to flourish. So, But I, I do find Jump's view very interesting because when, when you think about some of the libertarian philosophers like John Locke and John Stuart Mill and so on, they said everything's permissible as long as it doesn't harm you or, or others. <laughs> and so therefore there's traditionally always been this sort of caveat within libertarian philosophy. You, you know, you can choose, you can do whatever you like as long as you don't harm others and you don't harm yourself. So you know, if I want to walk down the street whistling, that's fine. People might think I'm crazy, but I'm not harming anyone. Of course, <laughs> if I choose to drive my car when I'm drunk, uh, then sure. of course you know, that that can't happen either. So I I, I do think that he that, that uh, Tom Jump has a lot of philosophical work to do before he can even start presenting these ideas. Uh, I think he's a uh, really open to some very powerful objections to his position. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting That's stuff. Huge. This is really yeah. interesting, <laughs> I think, especially when we start ta- talking about living in a false false reality. I want to yeah. make up my own little world, man, <laughs> and live there. Yeah. I'm, kind of, I'm kind of interested in to digging into Dr. Harris's um, anti-theism of Christopher Hitchens. Yeah. And in your in your dissertation or in your studies, um, maybe you could talk about a little bit. What did you find as the most potent argument against that sort of thinking? Um, yeah. And yeah, how might we approach that when we come across it? That's a good question. Yes. Um, thank you for that question. Um, I think the most powerful response to Hitchens is is uh, the death of Jesus and his resurrection. Um, Because if, in a sense, I wasn't arguing for the truth of Christianity. What I was arguing for was uh, a defense of how we describe God. So if God exists, this is what he's like. And even if he doesn't exist, then we're saying to the new atheists, don't don't define God for us. We already have an understanding of who he is. And, Mm. you know, a dictator is not going to sacrifice himself for his people. Um, there is none of that gracious love. There's none of that um, lowering of oneself for one's people. Um, all I see within human dictators is a, a selfish desire at any length to survive. Um, and if they can't remain in power, they flee. They leave their people to suffer their fate. So, for example, the, the Romanian leaders, um, Nikolai and Elena Ceausescu, you know, they, 
they can't believe their people have got rid of them and so their response is to flee there's no there's no suggestion in any of these egotists that they would ever do something that god does which is you know span this enormous gap between himself and humanity incarnate as jesus of nazareth and then die a grueling death obviously with the hope of the resurrection and glorification after that is the most powerful response i think you can make to an anti-theist although they would then say, well, how do you know all of that is true? Well, I would say, well, actually, truth is not part of the discussion at the moment. The yeah. historical truth is not part of The truth is how you describe God, and, and this is how we describe God. Therefore, he cannot be a totalitarian, like, you know, the North Korean dictator, um, or, or Joseph Stalin, or Robert Mugabe, or any of these other individuals. That, that I think, is the most powerful response you, you can give. Could, could the objection be raised... Um to that response saying, well, look at the, you know, the end goal is actually, though, uh, yeah, there's a moment that looks like it's suffering and dying, but then uh, it's future, in the, the full story says that this is now somebody that's to be worshipped, which is kind of like a, a dictator or mm. a, a Pol Pot or, you know, these people, they want to be you know, man gods mm. worshipped. Yeah. And so so actually, like that's so, so the objection I've heard it raised it to, would be yeah. that, well, actually, in the end, that's exactly what they get. While there's a moment of self-sacrifice, at least it looks like that, it results mm. in a deification. Mm. Yes. Um, certainly, you know, human dictators want to be worshipped. I'm, I'm aware that, you know, Stalin even had hymns written yeah. <laughs> calling him, you know, the great father, the eternal father. <laughs> you know, it's... <laughs> um, it's insane. And, and, you know, he didn't discourage this. I mean, he, he, he didn't believe he was a god, but he didn't discourage that sort of adulation because sure. at least he knew that people were were in line and doing as they're told. Um I think what Hitchens himself says that the idea of worshipping God is, is, a, is a way in which humans, you know, sort of um, reduce themselves down to the position of, of slaves and serfs and so on. Um, and I thought long and hard about this because, I, you know, I thought, well, yeah, maybe there's truth to that. You know, maybe I don't want to worship God for eternity. But I come back to the idea that, that God is a maximal being, you know, God who possesses perfectly every single good attribute and therefore on that basis he is deserving of worship um but when we worship him we're, we're not actually reducing ourselves down to the level of a, of a servant when we worship god we are actually um elevating our own humanity because we are in our worship we are recognizing god's great love for us so whilst we worship him in the act of worshiping him we are acknowledging the the qualities that God has that that makes us also important. So when I worship God, I, I worship him for his great love for me, which is his way of giving me significance within an, enorm within an enormous universe, within the great folds of time. Um, so it, it, it's not the it's not the um, the subject kneeling before uh, some sort of Roman emperor in fear of his life. Mm. It's somebody kneeling in acknowledgement of the great love that that God has, which actually came first. I mean, God initiates our salvation. God draws us to him. Um, so I, I don't see it as a, as a sort of an undignified act. But of course, worship is not the only thing that we do with God. You know, God is our friend as well as our master. 
um, we are to enjoy God, enjoy our relationship with him. The Westminster Confession says that, I think. Um, so I, I think that Hitchens' view of worship is like some sort of unending church service where we're constantly kneeling, bowing, and singing. But actually, it, it's part of a of a much greater relationship with God that, that is actually founded on God giving us our dignity back, which we which we lost when Adam and Eve chose to eat some fruit in the Garden of Eden. Yeah, that's that's what I would say in response to that. Yeah, that's really good. You know, um, <clears throat> I just think it's always important to bring in Scripture wherever we can, and I think <clears throat> as you were talking, it was just <laughs> reminding me of. Um, you know Ephesians two that yeah. you know, because of His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved, and God raised. It's like it's not like Christ is up there all alone by Himself, right? Mm-hmm. Like He rose from the dead, yes, um, and now He is worshipped. Like, but it says in Ephesians two six that God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him. In the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, in order that you know He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus, right? And I think it's it's so important. Like you were saying, John, one of the objections might be that, well, yeah, the resurrection still ends in you know worship me, um, and you know it con it, it continues on later in that chapter that. That we are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, yeah. and also members of His household. Right? We, we are, yeah. we are like living in, in His home. You know what I mean? <laughs> We're not like just His servants or whatever slaves. It's like we are part of His family, yeah. part of His household like uh well we're co-heirs with christ co-heirs with christ so yeah, and, and i mean what what paul says in romans is that uh he's given us everything mm-hmm. like everything that god has he's given us mm-hmm. so we're like we are now conquerors yeah, in christ yeah. is what the scriptures say um yeah i think that's a i think it's a really good point hey uh mm. dr harris we are almost yeah. out of time and uh okay. i know uh it's been a joy it's getting lame. to know you it's gone yeah. fast. we need Same more time Thank you. yeah for sure we definitely need more time we're gonna have to continue this at some other time we're okay. just starting to get good i feel like i know i know <laughs> but uh i'd hate for for us to just cut you off because uh, i don't have any control over the phones here but uh you know uh when at the top of the hour it just we just need to go so i just want to take this opportunity to thank you for your time thank you so much yeah it's been a joy and we look forward to uh just your contributions and i would i would encourage everyone to go to our site and uh read dr harris's two articles good stuff it really is is so um Mm -hmm. and, and i know um I know uh, he and I, we talked about this a little bit, and uh, in, in his most recent article, it reminded me of Jonathan Edwards and um, Augustine and, and, and C.S. Lewis and, and their take of, of God's worship and, and his glory. And there's a famous John Piper quote that I really like, and, and this kind of ties into what uh, you guys were saying, but... The, a, a proper attitude would be something like this. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Mm. Um, I mean, that that's implicit also in the Westminster um, 
you know, uh, chief the, and the, the first, man, that's right? right. That's and, and enjoy one. him forever. Yeah, yeah. glorify so, God and enjoy him forever. Yeah, so that's good stuff. All right, I hear the music. That means our time is up. Uh, I want to thank all our listeners, uh, especially those who support us. Uh, I thank John and Jason and our uh, technician back there who makes all the magic happen. We hope that you have learned something of importance and something to think about. Uh, something that will build upon your Christian worldview. And um, we look forward to being together again next week. All right. Good night.